Homestyle Green episode 274, Doing Windows Well. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. There aren't many new ideas in the building industry. The basic concepts have been around for a while. High-performance products and design details that might be described as innovative here in New Zealand are likely to be pretty much standard practice somewhere else. With his experience in Europe and Scandinavia, Richard Eden is well-placed to help New Zealand builders do things better. He can often be found teaching builders around the country how to do a good quality install of good quality windows, among other things. I caught up with Richard recently along with Simon Cater, both our colleagues uh, at ProClimate New Zealand, and uh, we had a, a bit of a chat about how Richard got into building and how he got his experience from Europe and Scandinavia, and uh, and then we got into some of the details of, of how to do windows, as well as some of the problems of the way uh, installing windows in a more what we currently consider a standard practice method, uh, what the problems can um, can occur or might occur down the track. So this is all about how to avoid that and get better performance out of something that your clients or you as a homeowner are probably investing a reasonable amount of money in. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, this is my chat with Richard Eden of Proclimber. Well, let's start with a bit of an intro because um, I think this might be your first time on on this show uh richard so um mm-hmm. give us uh, a, a bit of an overview of your experience which is pretty vast uh overview of my experience yeah um new zealand born um traveled around new zealand working in a variety of different trades did an apprenticeship when i was about 16 years old up in auckland which was predominantly um fixing the leaky buildings throughout the throughout the town all over the show and then worked uh, within an aluminium manufacturing company through to, through to doing foundations before um, moving off over to Europe and um, working on a few large heritage building projects throughout uh, Germany and then building high-performance houses in Sweden to building what we'd consider a decent house in Brazil, which didn't even have roofing underlay or anything like that on it. Um, to coming back to New Zealand with my beautiful Swedish wife and um, having a couple of kids and um, renovating our houses here just to try and make them warm, <laughs> dry and yeah. um, safe again, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're not a, do you, do you call yourself a builder? I call myself an ex-builder or an ex-carpenter. I yeah. did quite a, quite a long time doing um, joinery as well, as well, joinery and metalwork as well through my father's company. GM manufacturing company, yeah. So, so the when you the the beginning when you did aluminium uh, work was that mm-hmm. for a, a window fabricator? Yes, for a window fabricator down in Nelson. Yeah, um, the company eventually went on under just because the owner was a bit of a party animal. But um, <laughs> um, if it was a typical aluminium, uh, single glazed aluminium, um, external beaded. Yeah, I did um, fabrication in the factory and then. Also, um, did the on-site glazing and installation as well, so I covered covered the whole lot really. Yeah. Apart from making the extrusions, you know, we were just um, 
you know, use, importing it, using it, using what was available in New Zealand. Yeah. Going from that, so aluminium single glazing, uh, and then turning up on a building site in Europe. What were your thoughts? They use a lot of plastic, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of went from aluminium to UPVC, it did, yeah. Um, and it would have been a lot more chunky, wouldn't it? Yeah, def- oh, of course, yeah, so triple glazing, um, yeah, but at, at the same time, uh, it was a lot colder there, so I was kind of used to expectations of being colder. But mind you, my time in England, they were still using double glazing there, and my nana had a had a outdoor house at her place in um, Ashton Clinton, southern southern England, where it was still had single glazing, you know. Yeah. So it was it was a bit of um, you know, it's, you have the extreme heritage houses there, which didn't even have glazing through to the absolute modern passive houses there. It's the both ends of extreme there. And New Zealand kind of um, sat at the lower end of it, even though it's not that old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you yeah. did you come across passive house or, or higher performance housing in Europe and in Sweden? Yeah, immediately, immediately. Yeah, that was uh, evident evident there. Um, so the the company I worked for in Germany uh, for a long time, we were doing a rebuild of a 19, oh, sorry, 1669 rebuild of a fuckwork and lame. So it was a post and beam timber with uh, earth infill. Um, and we needed to reuse 80% of those materials, but rebuild it to the highest standard that they had, which at the time was what they called a three liter house. So only requiring three liters of oil to use to, to do all the heating throughout the whole year three um, liters of oil per year through per year which is wow. it's nothing yes it's absolutely nothing um and that in its own had its, had massive challenges it did um having to reuse that same material but it was pretty simple really in the end of it we just increased the thermal mass put shading where needed and and um made sure we thermally broke everything. You know, there's the the thoughts behind it were pretty simple, really. Um, they seem very complex now back in New Zealand, but over there it was a, a bit of a normality to watch your dew points, make sure you thermally break everything, and, um, and insulate. <laughs> yeah. Even on a 350-year-old building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then arriving back in New Zealand, how was that? Um, my wife explained it the best when we um, moved back down into Wellington. Um, we had this little studio flat there. And um, the first night there, she she elbowed me in the ribs and um, she was like, there's a rat inside. I was like, what do you mean there's a rat inside? The curtains are moving. The curtains are moving over there by the windows. The curtains are moving. There's a rat inside. Keep doing it. I was like, this I had a look and I was just like, there's no rat inside, hun, it's windy. Well, what do you mean it's windy? <laughs> well, yeah, it's windy, the window's not open. I was like, yeah, they don't need to be open in New Zealand for the wind to blow through them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And New Zealand was, wind is what happens on the inside as well as the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was, um, that, that kind of explains it all, it does. There's the expectations there of a um, healthy, safe environment Um which in, in Sweden was a given, you know. It was just a given where we lived in there in medium-density housing. You know, we had a radiator 
right, which could be adjusted plus or minus two degrees from 20 degrees. And that was all year round. The house was 20 degrees. Well, our apartment was 20 degrees the entire year round. And we didn't do anything yeah. to maintain it. Nothing. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, you do a lot of work on any typical New Zealand house. It is a labour-intensive um, climate control system that we manage in New Zealand. Yeah. Chop, chop firewood, wipe condensation down, you know, uh, every winter, every single day, wipe all your windows down, open, close all your windows, chop the firewood every single day. It's, it's you know, mop this up, mop that sill up, you know, dry this, make sure you're drying your clothes outside, ventilate where you're drying your clothes. Oh, the clothes aren't drying outside, or I do them by the fireplace, but open up the window. It's extremely labour-intensive climate in New Zealand. It is. You've been back in New Zealand now for a number of years. What mm. do you spend most of your time doing these days? Chopping firewood. Yeah, to keep yeah. to keep the keep the comfort there. Um, I mean, apart apart from my boys, I've got a five year old and um, and a one and a half year old, so their health to me is paramount. Mm-hmm. It is and. I have experienced healthy homes and healthy climates and lived through freezing winters and didn't get sick. Um, whereas I have winters like this year where our family's gone sick repeatedly, but yeah, I've, I've got a toddler in daycare, so that kind of tells it all as well. But um, we spend a lot of our time keeping the house healthy, yeah, which is yeah. Uh, it's time consuming, it is. And how do you de- how do you describe old. your your role at Proclima? So my role at Proclima, I've been with Proclima eight nine years, eight or nine years. It's quite a while now. Mm. Um, I've worked through most parts of Proclima. I am now a mix of uh, the technical team and sales. Um, so I manage the Wanganui to Taranaki and then top the South Island, supporting our customers there and and educating. Really, that's the biggest. Part of all of Proclimber, I think, is education. Yeah, is, is the is the name of the game in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, let's talk about windows um, because that's uh, something that I know that you educate people a lot on, and uh, particularly on the tools as well. Um, we'll briefly touch on new H one requirements coming in to. Um, the window space in um, all of New, New Zealand, so up, updating the requirements, um, sort of upping the the R value requirements uh, across across the country uh, in the new climate zones. Um, any thoughts on sort of the implications there for H one changes? I think that everyone should accept that it's a stepping stone, mm-hmm. and more changes will come. Yeah. I yeah, that should be a general acceptance across the country. Yeah, yeah. what? Uh, so tell tell us a little bit about your um, about recess windows because I know that's something that you spend time yeah. teaching people how to do. What what is a recess window and why is it important? Um, recessing joinery has been a it's a tricky one in New Zealand because we use a lot of aluminium joinery. Aluminium joinery is very hard to recess. Is correctly recess it. Um, around the rest of the world, there's been a lot of uh, timber windows used, and timber windows have been very easy to recess. My 
understanding of recess window is a window which is moved um, to within the structure of the building envelope. So the structure and the the insulation, you could say, the the thermal envelope. So they you're not trying to support a window outside on a cladding system outside that thermal envelope. Um, the structure is carrying the joinery, meaning that you can use larger joinery, heavier weight joinery, without having to use heavy weight support bars, you know, steel mm -hmm. support bars and things like that. But a big part is just understanding, um, connecting off those um, that thermal the thermal breaks to the to the insulation and making sure that this um, you could call it a line through your building envelope is continuous without any breaks there. Yeah, I I think that it, we've seemed to have settled on this word recess, but I think continuous is probably a better word because it's not. Yeah. Recess kind of implies you, you're doing something special, but really you're just putting the window in the middle of the wall, kind of where it should be, rather yeah. than hanging out. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Why Why is it such a weird thing for us here to to do that? Where in Europe, that's just kind of where windows go. I think it comes down to performance expectations uh, being a large part of it. Um, the expectation in New Zealand that you're going to have plenty of condensation forming on the inside of your joining all over it has generally been accepted by the population in New Zealand, um, where this exception in the likes of Sweden or Germany is illegal. You actually can't get away with that. You can't. You shouldn't have uh, large amounts of condensation with the potential of mold growth to occur on the inside of your building. It's detrimental to your health. Um, so, by so performance you, expectation, you mean that we we expect poor performance from our windows. Correct. So we have to yeah. move them away for when they fail. Correct, yeah. So that's and that's the big part is that we have decided to hang our joinery on the cladding um, because it leaked a lot. A lot of water occurred, condensation or physical wind-driven rain happened around this aluminium joinery, which we use uh, massive amounts of in New Zealand. And the easiest way to protect the building envelope was to to make it part of the cladding, right? connect it off to the cladding, hang it out in the cladding and put um, aluminium trays to collect all the water which occurred around it and feed that out onto the cladding. So mm -hmm. performance, thermal performance was kind of um, thrown out the window, you could say. Yeah. Bit of a pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do we fix that? How do we fix that? We first of all um, ask the question of, is this joinery which I am using or um, manufacturing in New Zealand, will it pass E3? Is a pretty simple question to ask. Um, and if not, how can we make that pass E3? Um, the biggest point there being is that this joinery shouldn't allow condensation to form on the inside, right? If we can keep those internal temperatures up that high, we're already winning, right? Does a uh, how much responsibility for that lies in the uh, with the manufacturer? Because they can just say, well, you know, we, we've designed the window to, to spec. It's not our our fault if 
if the interior is too humid? It, is the window supplier or manufacturer um, innocent or, you know, do they have any responsibility for that? Mm, well, not as I completely understand. I'm not a full professional on this, on this topic either, but what I found is the the specifications for the window performance doesn't include E3. It yeah. covers E2. It does, and durability. So, so E2 is about not letting water in from the outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and E3, as I understand, it's pretty vague. It, yeah. it just just means you have to account for, or or um, I can't remember what the, the actual word is, but you, you, you have to... Um, uh, be aware of moisture, basically. I mean, it's, it's you have to vague. put mechanisms in place to prevent um, the harm of the occupants yeah. and loss of amenity um, through fungal growth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, there's a fear of what happens when the window will fail and uh moisture getting into the frame and uh, causing causing damage. Um, so when you get the, uh, when you're trying to convince a designer or builder that, no, it's okay to put the, the window in line with the installation, so there is a, it is a step back from the, the outer face of the frame, what can you do to reassure them that it's, it's going to be okay? Yeah. Um... Look at the profile. The first um, advice I give to any architect or any homeowner, which is looking at purchasing window, is to get a, first of all, understand how the mitre performs, right? Will the mitre leak? Will the mullion leak? So the connections, how the joinery frame is connected. Um, once you understand that and if the water so if the water will drain through the mitres it means that you need to have some sort of layers underneath the joinery which will then deflect the water out mm -hmm. right um, timber good timber joinery is a great example is it doesn't leak through itself so you can actually just seal it off on the outside face and not worry about underneath it right um, when you think about being able to do that, it means that the gap between the joinery and the frame, that 10mm to 15mm gap, like any other hole in your building envelope, should have insulation put in it, right? To thermally yep. break that gap. And that's, the, that's what we're trying to achieve is making sure that that gap around this window frame is thermally broken, right? Yep. Uh, you might be buying thermally broken joinery, but you're not insulating that frame around it, meaning you'll get um, thermal bypass. means the, yeah. the aluminium behind that thermal break is getting just as cold as the outer one, so it doesn't make any sense buying it, right? So putting insulation in there and making sure you don't get that thermal bypass, but you have to make sure that you're controlling how the joinery drains, right? Yeah. You might get, um, depending on the type of joinery you purchase, you might have some performance losses to maintain that drainage path, right? Um, cheaper aluminium joinery where it will leak through the mitres over time 
You might need to leave the insulation out of the sill, but you can then insulate the, the jam and the heads. Um, but um, there are ways around it, but the, the most important thing to understand, I guess, is where you where you connect the window off to the to the building envelope, right? And that connection um, through through testing and through understanding and research, I found that the most important connection to be made is on the inside of the joinery. Um, we call it the primary air seal, and that's connecting the joinery off to the weather-resistive barrier, um, but on the inside of the joinery, um, continuously around the open opening. And what we're trying to achieve there is uh, pressure moderation. So we're trying to make sure that wind pressure is not going to um, uh, create a um, create a flow for water to be moved through, right? Um, right. Right. You know, go from a higher pressure to low pressure and yeah. a break in that primary air seal can create suction and things. It's a little bit tricky. It is. It's a little bit tricky. But um, I, I, I guess what I can only say to architects would be figure out the drainage path of the joinery. How does the joinery leak after, you know, post-durability? Will it leak through itself? Won't it? Um, can you then insulate continuously around it? And is the primary air seal continuous? And so what, just to go back in, uh, connecting that uh, air seal um, out to the outside face of the, the window um, frame or the, the hole in the, in the frame, is that, is that what, you, what you're saying? So you, you're connecting it off to the outside so it's completely sealed? No, so that you, for a building envelope and a window opening, is you, you fold your wall underlay into the window opening, all the way to the inside of that window opening. And you do that around the entire window opening. And we do that um, because we need to make the seal on the inside of the joinery. Right, right. Yeah, and we do that because we want to make sure that that air seal remains um, in better quality or at a slower rate of decay than the external seals. Yeah, yeah. So away from the weather, away from the sun, away from those big temperature differences. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, you mentioned research, uh, which mm. you um, said quite quickly. Um, by research, you don't mean just playing around with some stuff in your backyard, do you? Well, I did that. That's always a good part of the research. Well, you that's have the, done that. That's the but best part. Yeah. I, I know for a fact that you've done uh, a lot more than that, and you've you've done some uh, standardised uh, testing in a pressurised booth. So, point yeah. point being that you've done some pretty rigorous testing of different systems for New Zealand's construction systems. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, it all might seem uh, new, but all of the systems which I tested, so we did the VM1 testing and VM2 testing, um, so removing the perfrod and the spray foam, or the perfrod and the um, and the wet seal from mm -hmm. a couple of the windows in the testing booth in Miramar, and we used our tape instead to as the primary air seal, and then we just put any choice of insulation in behind it, right? So yep. we actually insulated that opening. Um, these details were new, <laughs> not these, they're new to New Zealand, but um, 
I'd, I'd already been doing it in the likes of Germany and Sweden for years beforehand just because it was fast, cost-effective, and it worked, right? Yeah. They were just, you know, they ticked all of those those three boxes. Um, but in New Zealand, this was kind of this weird, weird thing of we've always done it this way. Oh, this is new. Oh, oh it doesn't work. It's like actually it works really well. Um, we took it up to 7 kPa at one stage, which is a massive amount of pressure, and that was to 12 millimetres of our Tesconic Stora tape, the Proclamus Tesconic Stora tape, 12 millimetres of that onto the joinery over a 15 millimetre gap to the, the remaining tape onto the, onto the weather-resistive barrier. Yeah. And that was only after a half an hour's worth of curing, which it normally needs 24 hours. Right. And took it up to 7 kPa, which is, you know, that's a massive amount of pressure. That and would be enough to blow your windows, or window, uh, your curtains around. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got this cool video of me standing in front of one of the panes of glass and it's bulging in and out. You know, yeah, right. you stand in front of those, um, one of those carnival um, mirrors where you're either really skinny or really... <laughs> Really fat, you know. It was doing that in the in the reflection of it. There was that wow. much pressure there. That's a little bit scary. Yeah. So there's massive amounts of confidence in it. Um, that it, is a small part um, of recessing joinery. You can actually do that with externally hung joinery as well, because this connection is right. all done on the inside. Yeah. You know? It's a bit separate, but. Is there a place for perforod at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, this perforod, uh, perforod is a, or a backing rod um, stops your spray foams from uh, expanding out into the cavity. That's why it's there. It also plays a, a really good part with the wet seal as well in creating the shape of the wet seal connection, um, having these um, that kind of half round face mm. on the back of the wet seal, which then has you could say these two fins kind of coming off, which become a lot more ductile as well. So it has an integral role to play, especially if you're thinking of using um, like fire rated um, systems and things like that, which is right. normally some sort of mastic. You'd use the perforate in those situations. But is, is the problem that people rely on that as their main line of defence instead of taping it? Um. I think that a large percentage of the people who are installing perf rods around Windows in New Zealand have absolutely no idea why they're putting them in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just because yeah, that's the way they've always done it. That's the way they've always done it, but also um, there's a large um, lack of understanding around what individual products are actually used for as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, by the installers, you know, um, you don't normally have an LBP installing perf rod and spray foam on your windows. That normally gets thrown to the hired labour or the um, or the apprentice yeah. on site. It does. Yeah. Um, if they understood the importance of it um, and uh, the problems which have already arise from doing these connections poorly. Um, they'd probably take a bit more care in educating the staff around it, if they understood it themselves, mm. yeah. Mm. Simon, you've been uh, listening in. I know you've you've done a few uh, sessions uh, with Richard around the place. Uh, you got any um, 
questions for Richard or, or comments on, on what you've seen uh, regarding window installs? Yes, Matthew. So interesting enough, I went to visit one of our builders on site recently and was quite amazed by the, um, the lack of awareness of what was happening at the window because we did a blower door test after right. the perforod and foam had been installed. And um, they were just amazed at the amount of air that was leaking in um, around the corners. So I think they, they believe that this is the perfect solution and that it's going to be a great airtight seal for the life of the building. But they were just flabbergasted by the fact that um, before they'd even um, finished the building, there were already there were the air leaking through that uh, corners. And does that um, do they need to understand the importance of air tightness for that to real to realise that's a problem, or can, is that just obvious that if there's air coming through, then there's going to be a problem? Well, perhaps they um, they didn't realise that there would be a, a possible problem of moisture coming through that space as well, because right. uh, Richard's explained to us quite clearly around the cup effect where you actually need an air seal at um, at the back of that space in order to stop the wind-driven rain from being driven into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still reliant on them knowing that or someone like you guys turning up, right? Because there's, there's well, we've mentioned E3, uh, but it's so vague that there's nothing to really catch that at, at building inspection stage, is there? No, this is, um, and one of the difficulties is that when you install uh, perforod and foam, it's very hard to see how well it's been done because yeah. you're spraying something into a, a, a narrow gap and there's no way to actually see after the install as to whether it's um, been completely filled or not. Whereas yeah, right. um, with a tape that um, Richard is proposing, you can clearly see whether the tape is adhering or not. Yeah, and then yeah. of course, if you come along and, and do a quick blow door test, you get a really good quantitative mm-hmm. um, result from that as well. The the big difference is if you're using a perforod and spray foam, you are only supposed to use it for the primary air seal. It's not actually used for insulation. Where you're moving to a taping mechanism you then make a decision on how you're then going to insulate that gap, which we don't do in New Zealand because we're putting a perforod in some foam or something in there. We don't think about insulating that gap. Right. And so people think that the foam is the insulation. Yeah, but you're only putting it 10, 15 millimetres underneath the reveal. Yeah, yeah. And Richard, you were mentioning to me the other day that... um, Another common practice is to cut the back of the foam off. What is that? What does that do? Yeah, that stops. Uh, so if you think of um, expanding foam, um, when you spray a boiler, if you've got anyone who's ever played with expanding foam, when they spray it, it uh, expands out. And as it expands out, it's got this skin on the outside of it, right? And that skin's actually very important because underneath that skin you've got all of these air pockets from this expansion happening and buffing away and expanding so when you're spraying this in around the window opening you have this perforate on the back which 
um, it goes up against, expands against, and keeps that skin intact around the entire window opening, and then expands through to the inside, and then it comes filling out into into you know into your room, um, especially if you spray too much in there. Um, and then you take a knife and you cut it off. But as soon as you cut it off, you are now opening up this um, closed skin seal, right? Mm. And uh, that uh, then stops it actually being airtight. Um, and then over time, the skin will break down a little bit and uh, you'll get more air movement through it as time goes on and more um, expansion and contraction of the window and the openings happen. The best practice which I've seen to use spray foam, you apply it in two applications, you do. So you put the perforant further deeper in, and then you put the spray foam in in a small amount, and that expands out just a little bit, but you don't cut it off, so you retain that skin in a hole around that expanding foam. And then you let that cure, and then you finish it off, and then you cut that rest off just to fill that gap and then potentially get a bit more kind of thermal performance in there. So there are right ways you can actually use these products as well. There are. We, we've been talking about stuff which is uh, probably better to see um, images and details of. Um, yeah. You got some, where's the best place to go to find some uh, drawings and some uh, examples of good window installs? Um, on the Product Lumber website, um, there's a there's a range of different details which I've drawn up there. Um, so timber, UPVC, flange, chair frame. I tried to um, get a, a mixture of the different types of um, materials available in New Zealand, yep. um, and uh, try and get some ideas out there. I mean, these are all ideas to help architects understand where and how you can place these things right. Um, you're never really going to have the the identical build layup as our details, you know? Right. It's, it's, um, but it should give you the, the basic understandings. Also, you get the testing report as well for the primary SEL off of the ProClimber website. Yeah, awesome. proclimber.co.nz. And uh, you, you, are you traveling around the country at all these days, Richard? Are you, uh, you doing some trainings on, on site? Yep, down, down in uh, sunny Nelson, Blenheim, Nelson next week. It's going to be quite cool. Got a couple of nights down there. And nice. um, go. Um, luckily, there's some uh, interested architects in Havelock, so I'm going to go the back roads from Blenheim over to Nelson and go through Havelock and stuff. should be quite cool. Awesome. Yeah, and um, yeah, and just it's interesting. Since we kind of released the information, it's, of course, peaked interest, but also there's been a lot of head nodding as well. You know, there's been a lot of head nodding going, I, I knew that this was a potential, that this could happen with a type of joinery. Okay, it looks like someone's figured this out. I want, I want to talk to them and um, understand and learn as well. So, yeah, the feedback on the topic has been really cool, really, really cool nationwide. It has. Good, good. So I guess if people want to get in touch and uh, find out more or... Um well, certainly check out those details online, but if they want to um, get some hands-on uh, training, they they can just get in touch and uh, see what see what they can arrange in their region. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all of our contact numbers are on the website as well and then contact representative in the area. Um, yeah, we, you know, we talk to everyone across the country individually as awesome. well. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully things will uh, ramp up. We were talking before, Simon, it sounds like things are certainly ramping up uh, on the air tightness uh, front and, you know, Windows are a pretty key part of that. So um, hope to uh, keep you guys busy. And uh, I know that there's other things, you know, as people get more and more um, high performance in terms of compliance with new H1, but also beyond those changes and uh, getting towards the burn of climate change framework and just looking at much better performing windows, uh, then all this stuff becomes even more important. So, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully you'll both be very busy. Oh, I hope so too. It's fun. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matthew. Cheers, Cheers Simon. Richard Eden there and Simon Cater of Proclima in New Zealand. Um, both an incredible wealth of knowledge. And uh, one of the great things about Richard is he has the real technical hands-on experience and a great way to connect, uh, an ability to connect with with builders. Builders have a, a lot of respect. They can tell that Richard uh, knows what he's talking about. Um, but he's also able to communicate with architects and designers uh, and building scientists at a, at a very high level um, of detail with those really important concepts about keeping water out, how to deal with um, pressure on either side of a building element, particularly those junctions between the window frame and um, the the wall. Um, lots of uh, really important stuff there, but also the, the practical side of what does that all mean when it comes to detailing and then installing good quality products for a good quality result. Great stuff. Uh, and as we mentioned at the end, you can catch Reed and, uh, Richard around the country uh, for details of any trainings coming up and any other um, great resources, then head on over to proclimate.co.nz here in New Zealand. And similar resources available for Australia, uh, proclimate.com.au. Thank you to Proclima for uh, organising those great interviews. Uh, thanks, Simon. And uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, we'll be back again sometime soon, uh, possibly next week, possibly uh, the week after. Um, but uh, for now, go make a better place to live. Oh,